Once again, welcome and greetings from Elfie's World. This is the place where we, well, we bring you a little fun, pique your interest, and maybe, maybe even give you an opportunity to learn a thing or two about history. Oh, I am so glad that you decided to join us. Now, today, we're going to be presenting another program from our collection of stories entitled Elfie's Amazing But True Tales. These are true stories which have well, they've often been excluded from the pantheon of history for, well, for whatever reason. My name is Elfie Wolfram, and I hope you enjoy our presentation. This is episode number 37, and it is entitled, Authentic Mountain Man. So, kick back, relax, and enjoy. When the Congress of the United States ratified President Thomas Jefferson's purchase of the Louisiana Territory, they created a real problem. Now, though they had acquired over 828,000 square miles of land at the bargain price of a little over $18 an acre, thereby doubling the size of the United States, no one, absolutely no one, had any idea what they had just purchased. Now, to explore this vast unknown land, Thomas Jefferson called upon Meriwether Lewis, soldier and private secretary to Jefferson. He also recruited one of Lewis's old military friends, William Clark. Now, these two were to enlist men for a corps of discovery, which was to penetrate as far as possible into that wilderness and bring back as much information as they could about this new American territory which had just been acquired. One of the key members of that exploration team and the third to be chosen was a man by the name of John Coulter. Now, Coulter was not an overly large man, he was standing only about 5 foot 10 inches tall, which was a little above average for the day. However, he would prove to be indispensable as part of the Lewis and Clark team. Born in Kentucky in 1773, he was a natural in the frontier, possessing great wilderness expertise. By 1806, using the skills that he had learned growing up in the wilderness, Coulter had crossed the continent twice with Lewis and Clark, and he was certainly no stranger when it came to dealing with the Indians, having been part of Captain Lewis's confrontation with the Blackfeet on their return trip from the Pacific Ocean. Now, upon their return, the expedition was approaching the Mandan Indian villages in North Dakota. This signaled their journey's end. Most of his companions must have been looking forward to a nice, warm feather bed and some home-cooked meals after two years of sleeping on the ground and living mainly on buffalo and other wild game. <laughs> ah, but not John Coulter. Oh, no. When two trappers who were heading up the Missouri River invited him to join their party, he asked for and was given his discharge from the Lewis and Clark expedition. John Coulter was about to move from being a part of a historic event to the realm of being a true American legend. 
And so it was. In 1807, having obtained valuable trapping experience, John Coulter was invited by Manuel Liza, founder of the Missouri Fur Company, to join him on an expedition back to the Rocky Mountains. Now, they succeeded in getting a long way up the Missouri River where they established Fort Raymond. While the rest of the company settled in for the winter, Lisa sent Coulter out for a visit with various Indian camps. His instructions were to make them aware of his party's presence and to see if he could promote some trading opportunities. Well, with only his rifle and a 30-pound pack, Coulter would hike over 500 miles that winter. Occasionally, he would utilize Indian guides, but often he walked alone. Though no one knows for certain the exact route Coulter took, most agree he was the first person from the east to visit Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and Yellowstone Park. Now, because the tales he told of those magnificent areas were so vivid, the, the thermal wonders of Yellowstone area would become known as Coulter's Hell. The next year, Coulter and his partner set out to trap beaver for the value of their pelts. One day, without warning, they were set upon by a band of Blackfeet Indians. As he watched his partner being killed, Coulter must have thought that he was next. But instead of killing him, the Blackfeet stripped Coulter of all of his clothing and his possessions, even his shoes. Then, to his amazement, the Blackfeet told him to start running. He finally realized this was to be a hunting game with the Blackfeet as the hunter and Coulter as the prey. Given a hundred-yard head start, he began to run for his life, wearing no clothes and no shoes. Initially, there were four Blackfeet on his trail, by the three-mile mark, all dropped out except one, one determined hunter. By this time, Coulter's bare feet were cut, bleeding, and full of thorns. Unable to run any further, Coulter suddenly turned and let out a war cry and attacked his lone assailant. After a fierce struggle, he killed that last Blackfoot pursuer, with the man's own spear. It was at that moment that Coulter was able to hear the advance of additional Blackfeet Indians as they approached him, having rejoined the hunt for him. Unable to run any further, Coulter took the dead Indian's blanket, went down to a nearby river where he finally lost his pursuers by hiding under a pile of logs. But, but Coulter still wasn't out of trouble. He now found himself alone in hostile country with only roots and berries to eat and over 
hundred miles to travel before he reached the sanctuary of Fort Raymond, with no shoes and only a blanket for protection. With an unbelievable determination, eleven days later, an exhausted and half-starved Coulter stumbled into the stockade at Fort Raymond. Barely alive, but he survived. After regaining his strength at Fort Raymond, he returned to the site of his attack to retrieve his valuable traps. Now, though Coulter was understandably unnerved by his ordeal, he was not about to give up his passion and excitement for danger. And so, in 1910, he signed on with another Missouri Fur Company party as their leader. <laughs> Inexplicably, it almost seemed as though those black feet had it in for John Coulter. As he led his trapping party back into the Rocky Mountains, he was once more captured by the relentless Blackfeet. Was John Coulter finally killed by his determined enemy? Was, was this the end of our intrepid mountain man? Would he die in his beloved Rocky Mountains at the hands of the Blackfeet Indians? Was this the end of John Coulter? Well... Did John Coulter have the determination to escape from the fierce Blackfeet Indians one more time? Well, it was at that moment John Coulter made a vow. If he could escape from the Blackfeet one last time, he would leave those cursed mountains forever and go back east, where he would be safe to live out his life quietly to a ripe old age. And so, <laughs> escape he did, once more surviving his arch-nemesis, the Blackfeet. And, true to his vow, Coulter did leave his beloved, majestic mountain wilderness forever. Using the profits from his fur trading, he bought a parcel of land in Missouri and married a gal named Sally. He settled down to a, a safe life of, of a farmer, planning to live out a long, peaceful life. One of his neighbors was none other than Daniel Boone. He and Sally even had a son. Ah, but living to a ripe old age was not to be the fate for which John Coulter was destined. Nor would he die fighting the Blackfeet or even succumbing to the elements. Instead, in 1813, this most fearless of all mountain men, who had overcome almost unsurmountable odds, died quietly in his own bed of jaundice at the relatively young age of 39. Now, though he may have had the common death of a frontier farmer, his life was that of a mountain man 
which was far from ordinary. And so, whenever people speak of the early exploration of the Rocky Mountains, they will forever remember the heroic feats of John Coulter, an authentic mountain man. Here was a man whose life can only be described as amazing and audaciously true. Well, there you have it. Episode number 37, entitled Authentic Mountain Man. Now, it's part of our weekly series entitled Elfie's Amazing But True Tales. Now, each week, we feel privileged to present for your entertainment and edification a brand new audio story from our collection of amazing but true accounts from history. Now, some of these narratives come from our book entitled Elfie's Amazing But True Tales of American History and More. Now, listen, as a listener to this program, you are entitled to purchase autographed copies of our original book, Elfie's Amazing But True Tales of American History and More, at half the publisher's list price of $13.95 or a mere $7 per book. And that includes free shipping and handling anywhere within the United States. Yeah, well, for more information, merely go to elfiesworld.com. That's A-L-F-Y-S-W-O-R-L-D. That's elfiesworld.com. And click on Elfie the Writer for more information. And now, I would like to thank the following for helping to make this program possible. First, Garrett Wolfram, our technical producer and supervisor. The late Irene Wolfram principal editor and provider of Sage Council, Expert Publishing for their help in editing and publishing our book. Lucas Ganza Anna Waltz for the Parlor Guitar Magic Set. Herbert Bolin for his Piano Mood Happy Four. Ninad Simic for Piano Transition. And finally, the thousands of readers who have supported our efforts from the beginning. <laughs>